Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Bible in a Year reading plan. We also have PDFs available on our website for download, grove.church. Yeah, go ahead and feel free to grab that reading plan if you don't have it already. Uh, and as you're reading along, or maybe you're listening along with us in the podcast, we'd love for you to take a moment. If questions come up, uh, we just send them in. We got, a, I think, a fun question today that's not necessarily uh, about something specific that was read, but just it, more of a general question that I think is really good. So if you've got questions that pop up or in your head, it's like, man, this is difficult or I don't understand this. We would love to take some time as much as we can every week to answer some of those questions. And so you can do that one of two ways. You can send us an email uh, to info at grove.church or you can direct message our Grove Church Facebook page. Again, we are the Grove Church in Washington State. We get those questions through our DM as well. So feel free to do that. I'm curious if people heard my reverse yawn in the middle of you talking there. They probably did. I was like, <gasps> But that was, I wasn't in shock at what you said. I just was, apparently something was going weird with my body. Uh, As far as resources we're using today, the ESV Study Bible and the Essence of the Old Testament, a survey by Ed Hinson and Gary Yates. And today we are talking about the book of Numbers. Numbers. I realized like, I used to like think that when we said that it was a reveal, but then I realized we always title the episodes, whatever we're doing. So it's like everyone who's, anyone who's listening is like, yeah, they're talking about numbers today. Duh. Yeah. What are you going to do? Uh, We're still going to reveal it because it's fun for us. Exactly. Uh, So the book of Numbers is the fourth book in the Pentateuch. And remember, Pentateuch is a word meaning the first five books of the Bible. uh, And it deals with the period of Israel wandering in the wilderness. Um, I shouldn't say like, it's not the only book that deals with that period because basically half of Exodus through Deuteronomy is all wandering in the wilderness, but it deals with a specific time uh, within there. It's also one of the more depressing books of the Bible um, because pretty much... Half of the book, if you're looking at it as far as um, themes go, but two thirds of the book, as far as like actual text written, uh, just deals with the first generation of Israelites just being the worst yeah. is kind of the story. So um, it is it is what it is, but they uh, it's the failure of the first generation of Israelites to leave Egypt um, and it's a sobering reminder of the dangers of not obeying God. So the name Numbers comes from... Uh, the two censuses or the numberings that happen in the book. So there's one that happens at the very beginning that numbers the old generation. And there's one, you know, spoilers that happens. What? I think it's in chapter 26 is where the divide happens. Um, but it, it numbers the uh, the second generation. So we'll see, we'll see why there needs to be two censuses here as we go through the book. Um, although the Hebrew title of the book is uh, Bamidbar which means in the wilderness. And honestly, that's like, that's way cooler than numbers. Like numbers sounds lame. Yeah, I, I actually scratched out in my Bible the, the word numbers now and I put the, the Hebrew word there. So that just to have some fun with that. I'm telling you, the, every time there's a discrepancy between the Hebrew and then the later like Greek Latin names that we bring into English, the Hebrew one always is cooler. Like the Levite one, I forgot what it is, but. Do you think if we were in the Hebrew, I don't know, if Hebrew was the main language, we'd think the same thing about the Greek? I don't know. Probably. Maybe. Could be. It, it's always, it's always the trend. Anytime ob- there's something different and new, we always think it's better than what is. So objectively. The though, grouse is gr- always green on the other side, Evan. In the wilderness. Enjoy is where way, you're at, okay? It's a way better title than like numbers. Censuses. This is super exciting. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> moving past all that. Uh, and then to make it easier to discuss, we'll divide the book into two parts. Uh, the first part dealing with the first generation, the second part dealing with the second generation. And really pretty there's- simple. Pretty cut and dry here. Yeah. It's kind of three parts because the first generation, there's two 
sections one where it's like hey this is going pretty well and then it starts not going yeah, right. well and then the second generation wah, wah. all right so preparing to take canaan the first time that's what we're labeling uh this first section uh in this section we see the preparation of the first generation to begin the divinely commanded conquest of the land that yahweh had given to them which is a lot of bigger words but essentially <laughs> it means that uh yahweh god had commanded the israelites you're going to go and you're going to take this land this is the land i've given you and so they're preparing to do that yeah uh so the first census takes place uh and is a counting of israel's men of fighting age uh a little over six hundred thousand fighting men were ready to go and aaron if you want to read the passage yeah you, you might notice a little gift i left for you there a little what in the passage oh we'll find out do you see the gift no, not yet. I'll read it out right. loud. We'll see. We'll see when he notices, folks. Uh, here it is. These uh, numbers one forty-four to forty-six. Oh, you put CSB in there. I get. I went Christian Standard it's Bible precious. for you. It's precious, bro. It's because I call them out every week about the ESV. So, uh, even in our uh, discipleship group, I say the same thing. So, um, here it is. Numbers one forty-four to forty-six. These are the men Moses and Aaron registered with the assistance of the twelve leaders of Israel. Each represented his ancestral family. So all the Israelites, 20 years old or more, everyone who could serve in Israel's army were registered by their ancestral families. All those registered numbered 603,550. Yep. So if you want the exact number, there you go. Thank you, CSB. Yeah. Uh, well, the ESV has it too. <laughs> and I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, and so we see next up, uh, this is really interesting. And if you have a study Bible, they give you pictures of it too, which I think is even cooler. Um, but it shows how the camp is laid out. So the tabernacle or the tent of meeting is in the very middle of the camp. Mm -hmm. And then it's the Levites and then Moses and Aaron and all of them are uh, around the tabernacle. And then all the tribes are given space to occupy. Mm -hmm. um, and if you, if you happen to have the essence of the Old Testament, a survey book, um, in the number section, there's actually an artist's rendering of essentially it's like a couple people on a mountain looking down on the camp. It's like, oh, that's kind of cool to think about. So that's huh. what it could have looked like from far away. Yeah. But anyway, the camp is ready. Camp is prepared for war. So it's saying all of the tribes, you're, you're basically, you're staying with your tribes now. And more specifically, you're staying with your clan. And at any yeah. given moment, we're, we're going to be ready and we're, we're going to go do this thing. So camp's yeah. prepared. And it's interesting because you get this, again, this picture of like, there's the specific order to it. There's a way to set up your camp. There's a way where each tribe is supposed to be. It's it's pretty remarkable, the the meticulousness of it, I guess, or the detail. We'll just put it that way, the detail-oriented side of things. But um, If there's one thing to take from the first five books of the Bible, it's that God is very detailed. <laughs> God is very clear. There's yes. so many things where it's just like, this is the exact size that I want this thing to be. Yep. Hey, um, Noah, when you build a big boat, here's exactly yeah. what the measurements. I was just about to say, it starts with Noah and then it goes all the way through. The tabernacle, yeah, you have to have this many rings and this shape, this size, this this material. Yep. Exactly. And I think- Very, we, very specific. We all know this, but it all it is also very significant that they're saying the the tabernacle or the place where Yahweh's presence dwells is in the center of the camp. Mm -hmm. And that's, it should be at the center of everything that's happened. We should always be reminded every person in the tribe can see the tent of meeting, um, or at least the smoke coming out of yeah, it. Right. But uh, as we'll see here in a little bit, it's maybe first in the camp or the center of the camp, but not in the center of the hearts of... Um, well said. I was trying well to, said. here's the thing. I just got to the part of a book I'm reading where uh, Washington dies and it's like, you know, first in war, first in peace and first in the hearts of his countrymen. I was trying to do that with the, <laughs> with the tabernacle, but it wasn't working. So it was close. You, what are you going to do? I'll give it an A for effort. Uh, anyways, the Levites are also counted. Um, so just as a reminder, they are not counted among the warriors because the Levites are called to do something different. They're yeah. called to be the priests of God. They're called to a, a bunch of different jobs. Yeah. So that's what they do. Uh, and then they're given their assignments. 
And then finally, there is a moral preparation of the people. Um, there are ways put forward to continue to purify Israel, including one that we may recognize. So I put this one in here just because uh, it comes up a few times. Uh, so in number six, one through eight, again in the CSB, just for Aaron. Uh, the Lord instructed Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, when a man or a woman makes a special vow, a Nazarite vow, to concentrate, consecrate himself to the Lord, he is to abstain from wine and beer. He must not drink vinegar made from wine or from beer. I don't know how much of a temptation drinking vinegar was, but there you go. Uh, he must question. not drink any grape juice or eat fresh grapes or raisins. He is not to eat anything produced by the grapevine from seeds to skin during the period of his consecration. He must not cut his hair throughout the time of his vow of consecration. He may be holy until the time is completed during which he consecrates himself to the Lord. He is to let his hair grow long. He must not go near a dead body during the time he consecrates himself to the Lord. He is not to defile himself for his father or mother or his brother or sister when they die while the mark of consecration to his, to his God on his forehead. He is holy to the Lord during this time of consecration. So, and the, it, it goes on from there, but I just kind of brought in the first few verses there. So, if you recognize the word Nazarite, it is not Nazarene, which is, you know, what Jesus is. He's in, from Nazareth. But yeah. the Nazarite vow is the vow that Samson takes. Mm -hmm. uh, also, Samuel takes it, which I didn't yep. realize. So, there you go. And I think there's there's one other famous person who I'm forgetting who also took the vow, but... Wasn't it John the Baptist? Yep. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> John, wasn't it John I had to make sure, because it's funny, because I thought either John the Baptist or Jesus, because I knew in that, in the New Testament, it was re referencing that early on. So, yep. Like, it is John the Baptist. I was thinking, I was trying to search the Old Testament for it, but look, smarty New pants Testament, Aaron. Bro. He knew where to go. Um, but yeah, they all take the Nazarite vow. Um, and it's also funny because like, I mean, I guess I never put much thought into it, but I've always thought of it as something that like was your whole lifetime, which yeah. isn't necessarily true because um, yeah. this clearly lays out that it's for a time of consecration. Uh, for Samson, I believe it's his whole life. It's, it's supposed he, to be his whole life. Yeah, that he's But you can check off that list. He breaks every one of those things. So. Yep. Yeah, if, as you're reading Thanks, through, Samson. you're like, oh, Samson. But, but yeah. God still used them. Exactly. Uh, and he, he took a bunch of Philistines <laughs> with him. Doesn't mean you should have a reason to... All right, Break so <laughs> true. So that's that's numbers one through ten, uh, and now we're going to talk about numbers eleven through twenty-five. Um, and this section is called appropriately the failure of the first generation. <laughs> so uh, this, is, this is this is where it gets depressing, guys. It's true. Uh, so we begin this passage. It, literally, these are the first fifteen verses. Uh, Aaron, if you want to take this section here, and we'll see. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, here we, uh, <laughs> yeah, here we in go. Sections. Uh, again in the CSB, because that's what Jesus would read. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It is the Christian <laughs> so standard Bible. Uh, it says this, Now the people began com complaining openly before the Lord about hardship. When the Lord heard, his anger burnt, and the fire uh, from the Lord blazed among them and consumed the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was named Tibera, because the Lord's fire had blazed among them. The riffraff among them had a CCSB bro riffraff riffraff uh, had a strong craving of uh, for other food. The Israelites wept again and said, "Who will feed us meat? Uh, we remember the free the free fish we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to look at but this manna. The manna had resembled coriander seed, and its appearance was that of the bedellum, bedellium, bedellium." Uh, Something that's, I don't, that's I don't a know. word I don't know how to pronounce. I don't know what it is either. Uh, the people walked around. So listen, side note, if I don't know how to pronounce word typically, I just go with it and pretend like I know what I'm talking about. That one caught me off guard. <laughs> um, verse eight, the people walked around and gathered it. They the ground it uh, on a pair of grinding stones and crushing it into mortar, then boiled it in a cooking pot and shaped it into cakes. It tasted like a pastry cooked with the finest oil. When the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall, for, fall with it. 
Moses heard the people, family after family, weeping at the entrance of their tents. The Lord was very angry. Moses was also provoked. So Moses asked the Lord, why have you brought such trouble on your servant? Why are you angry with me? And why do you burden me with all these people? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? So you should tell me, carry them at your breast as a nanny carries a baby to the land that you swore to give them to their fathers. Where can I get meat to give all these people? For they are weeping to me. Give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. They are too much for me. If you're going to treat me like this, please kill me right now. If I have found favor with you, which is an interesting statement. Uh, and don't let me see my misery anymore. It's funny because that's, Good job, Moses. it's a common refrain for a lot of the Old Testament prophets is like, is this, if this is what you have for me, then kill me now. Right. Like you know, the prophet most like, strongly is uh, Jonah. Who's the one that I think about. Jonah. Yeah. Jonah's just like, if you were going to give grace to them, just let me die. Like, okay, Jonah, calm, yeah. calm down. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So it, it is kind of interesting because it's complaints both from the people, which we've come to expect, but also Moses complains. Yeah, he He's, finally, he gets mad. He gets provoked. I love that it says he was provoked. Yep. And I just, it's so like, because here's the thing. I think the, the, not the number one. One of the mistakes that we make though, when we read the Bible is that we look at the Israelites and we think to ourselves, I'm, I'm not them. We probably are them. So let's not like think yeah, that be we're- careful. Let's not think that we're better than them. Um, but at, at the same time, it seems so crazy to me that like you're in the middle of the desert and God is causing bread to rain down from the sky. And you're like, this isn't good enough. Like, what? Where's is, my meat? Like, what wasn't it better? And like, here's what's crazy. Like, I always think it's funny because um, in every like superhero movie or like big action movie, there's always a scene um, it, where the villains like, like, little do you know, hero, people don't want to be free. They just want to be ruled or safe or whatever it is. And it's always played as like, that's not true. And then the hero like saves the day, but it, it's totally true. <laughs> like if you look all throughout the Bible, it's Israel complaining about the freedom that they have that God has given them. And they're saying, wasn't it better when we were enslaved? Because mm -hmm. at least we had food to eat. And like, I don't know, it, it's an interesting... It's an interesting piece of human nature. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that they're because they because of food, because they don't get the right food that they want. They're yearning for the days when they weren't able to worship God the way that they wanted to, and they were enslaved in Egypt, and their and their children were killed. Yeah, and it's it's just it's crazy. But they forgot all that because they just want some meat. Yeah, you're give not. Me, give me some free fish. You're not wrong. And so I, I also get like because I, I think it's it's wrong of Moses to go after God and complain in this way. But I, I also like I get it. Like the they, they, they suck. <laughs> like the people of Israel. It's just the worst. Yeah. Um, but again, all of that being said, let's not be so quick to assume that that's not how we would behave as well. Yeah, right. So it's one of those it's things. Very true. I mean, how many times do we get in, in, in inconvenient situations or, you know, we get hangry? I mean, there's there's so many different layers to the conversation, like to realize like this is not an Israelite problem. This is a human problem. Um, and sin is the common denominator among all generations of people. Um, and and there's there's a lot of truth to be said. Like it's... It's easy to sit in the seat we're sitting in, like, man, they're the worst. Right. Um, and then only to realize if we'd stop for a moment and actually take on a, an, an attitude of humility, realizing like, yeah, but I'm them. <laughs> and, and it may not be to the extreme exaggeration that, that the Israelites have walked through because we live in a far different place and a far different culture and a far different context. Mm -hmm. um, but if we were to be in their shoes or we were to be navigating the things we're navigating, it, we're just as bad. We're, we're in the same boat. So Yeah. And there's there's a cultural difference, I suppose, too, where like, I think as Americans, we more by default value freedom mm -hmm. um, in, in places where other where other places in the world, maybe that's not like the primary thing yeah. that you value. So maybe like that wouldn't necessarily be something, because that's what kind of 
strikes me as being crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of not being satisfied with what God has done for you, well, we do that all the time. Yeah, so absolutely. That's one of those things. Also, if you're keeping track today, that's a backwards yawn and a voice crack. So I, my voice is hey, just... Hey, you're just checking off the list. Having fun. I'm playing a... Uh, a junior high Evan bingo game right now. Yes. All right. What is it? I just need I'm three zit, away from a bingo. I just need a zit to pop and then you're, you're there. Um, all right. So, and this one is one of the more sad passages. Uh, Moses's own family begins to turn against him. Mm-hmm. So Aaron and Miriam speak against his marriage to a Cushite woman. Um, so, and I thought this was interesting because I'd never heard this before. Um, this may be referring to Zipporah, um, but Zipporah is always referred to as a Midianite. So she comes from that region of the world, which if you don't know where that is, it's essentially modern day Saudi Arabia yeah. up through East Jordan is kind of where the Midianites were. And they're different tribes of Midianites, mm-hmm. as we'll see, because um, Israel's about to go to war with the Midianites, but it's not Jethro's Midianites. They're different Midianites. Yeah, these are the bad ones. The bad Midianites. <laughs> um, but Cush is in modern day Ethiopia. Um, and so it's actually pretty probable that Moses at some point took a second wife, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and this is also after uh, Zipporah and Moses's sons returned to Midian, I believe. Um, so yeah, and we don't hear anything else about this woman. Yeah, that it's, was it. It's just like Miriam and Aaron are mad that Moses married a Cushite woman. It says like, I think it literally says, uh, they spoke, they were, they were angry that he married a Kushite woman. They spoke against him because she was a Kushite and that was it. <laughs> That's the only thing we hear about. So uh, anyway, Miriam would be punished uh, with leprosy, uh, which Yahweh would remove after Take Moses that. prays for mercy. So yeah. yeah, the whole cloud descends, it lifts, Miriam has leprosy. Aaron says like, we've sinned, please forgive us. And then Moses goes and he prays and then God, uh, God forgives and he takes away the, the leprosy. So there you go again. Bummer. So yeah. <laughs> we're we're starting to see um we're starting to see, I guess, the effects of just wandering in the wilderness, taking a long time, and, and also this lack of faith. And you and you see like like I said, like you see like bread raining down from heaven, which is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. This generation had all you see seen... a cloud descending around the tabernacle for crying out loud. True. Like and again, these are things that we have not experienced. So it's easy to sit in the seat of judgment and be like, how? And like, how do you watch the Red Sea part? And, yeah. then, and then and then all of a sudden have no faith and trust and want to go back. Yep. Um, yeah, it's interesting for sure. I think that that's part of like the whole wilderness saga, if you will, um, for me as I read it, is trying to comprehend how easy it is, but also how difficult it is to relate and then contextualize. Um, I'm not saying I'm reading my filters into the, the, the book of Numbers or Old Testament, but it, it's how do I relate to the condition of the Israelite people? Right. Because it's so, it's, it's, it's dumbfounding to me at times where it's like the, the, the cloud descended over the tavern. I, God showed up. I, I've never seen God show up that way. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because I think, again, it's, it's, you know, it's it's different eras, it's different cultures, but the the problem is still there. Um, and so I have to oftentimes pause and remember, okay, God, I may not have seen you descend, but I've seen you work and provide in ways that I don't ever want to forget or neglect. Um, and and my hope is that I'll I will more oftentimes be aware of His provision than not aware of His provision, Pr- aware and thankful versus aware and God, I want more. No, that's a great point. 
Uh, moving forward in numbers, uh, we also get to, I said the most famous story in numbers. It's, it's one or two. We'll get to the other famous story from numbers here in a second as well. Uh, but I still think this is probably the one that most people know. Uh, so there's 12 spies being sent into Canaan. They're going to spy out the land. Um, these men were Caleb of the tribe of Judah, Joshua of the tribe of Ephraim. And then I put in my notes and 10 <laughs> other guys who suck. So, uh, so anyways, Moses sends them in, uh, and the spies return saying that there is no hope of ever conquering Canaan. Uh, only Joshua and Caleb express faith that God can accomplish it. Um, and the people of Israel did not react very well. So in this next section here, um, Numbers 14, 1 through 11, and this is after the spies have come back, there's a little bit of arguing. Uh, Joshua and Caleb say like, no, like, don't listen to them. We can do it. Yep. And then the people, it's, well, it says this. Then the whole community broke into loud cries and the people wept that night. <laughs> So, just what a bunch can, of can you tell which ones they're listening to right what now? What a bunch of babies! Uh, all of the all of the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron, and the whole community told them if we had only died in the land of Egypt, or if we had only died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bring? Which side note? Uh, be careful what you wish for. Uh, why is the Lord <laughs> bringing us into That's this awesome. land by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it have been better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, <clears throat> let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly of the Israelite community. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Japuna, who were among those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes, which is an old sign of basically mourning or sadness, yeah. uh, and said to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land, for we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. While the whole community threatened to stone them, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites in the, at the tent of meeting. The Lord said to Moses, how long were these, will these people despise me? How long will they not trust in me, despite all of the signs that I have performed among them? So, uh, yeah, God is... Uh, He's rightfully not very happy with no. the Israelites right now. It's, it's crazy to think too that they're threatening to kill them. Like when they say like, because the word stoned, like we just don't use it in modern parlance very much. But what they're talking about is like, let's, let's grab- say, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Let's grab rocks and throw it at them until they die. And then we'll appoint a new leader who can lead us back to Egypt. And so there's just, there's this incredible longing for just um, the safety of enslavement Mm-hmm. over the freedom that God is giving them right in front of their faces. Yeah. And there's just this 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 fear that they're not going to be able to accomplish. Or, or rather it's this, I think it's this ignorance of the idea that it's still going to be, it's still, it relies on them, yeah. if that makes sense. Because what Joshua and Caleb understand is this is God's battle. This mm-hmm. is not our battle. Like God, God, we did not bring 10 plagues down on Egypt. We did not part the Red Sea. We did not make our way through the wilderness. We did not create a pillar of fire and smoke to lead us through. Like all of these things are things that God did. And the people of Israel uh, still do not understand that God is going to be the one who leads them through. So it's just one of those things. Um, After this, Yahweh decides to permanently ban this whole generation from entering the promised land. Uh, Only Joshua and Caleb are exempt from this. So... And, we'll and isn't this one after they they realize like now that they're banned, they like, okay, no, let's go do it. We'll take over. We'll fight the, we'll go to the promised landing. And they were warned like, don't go with them. 
the God's not going. Oh, don't go do it. God's not with you. And they get destroyed. They I, have get, to, I have to look. I didn't. I didn't read that part. I'm pretty sure there's a moment. Like it's either this moment or it's the next. I'm pretty sure it's this moment because it's right before the the wandering in the wilderness. It's right before they're sent back. Uh-huh. Um, but it's after this weeping and wailing. God shows up, um, and you'll read it when you get into numbers uh, for your listeners. But uh, there is a moment where they said they realize like, oh no no, we don't want we don't want to wander. We, let's we'll trust you, Lord. We'll trust you. And it's almost like the the kid who doesn't want to get. You know, my son who doesn't want to go time out or doesn't want sure. to get spanked. Not that I spank him much, but I have once. Um, but then all of a sudden he writes his wrong. Like, no, 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 I trust you. Like, no, too late. Like you already, you already, you already disobeyed me. You already, you already stepped away. Like in that, and then all of a sudden. And then Cassie has to pray to you for mercy. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to say that. Um, but so then God's people, the Israelites, they, they then quote unquote repent uh, but there's no heart change. They do it out of wanting to escape punishment, not because their hearts have been turned back to God. They run over the hill, so to speak, to go attack the the promised land, go attack right. the uh, nation, and they get turned back. They get destroyed. Like, they get beat and, t- and they're turned back with their tails between their legs. And it, it is and ironic. And then they go wandering. <laughs> yeah. It is ironic to think through the lens of, uh, like they say, like, isn't it better if we would have just died in the wilderness? And God's like, you know what? Fine. Okay. You are all dying in the wilderness. Congratulations. None of you get oh, to go man. into the promised land. Um, so there you go. That begins the period of wandering, uh, where essentially they're just walking around waiting for that generation to die. (laughs) So, which is kind of a morbid thought where like, and imagine like, you know, people always talk about the, uh, the tensions between like millennials and boomers right now. Like imagine the tension between these generations where like every old person you're looking at as a young person, you're just like, I can't wait for you to croak (laughs) boy. (laughs) Like you're just the worst. Yeah. It makes me wonder what the, um, what that journey was like. Yeah. Um, for the older generation realizing that, I mean, did they even realize that they were the reason why they went back into the wilderness? Or did they realize like, was there, I think it's got, was there a moment know. of repentance of understanding like, okay, Lord, you're right. And now I have to deal with the consequence of this journey. And um, I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah, because it, it did go 40 years. Like they wandered for 40 years. Yeah. And, and I, there's different, different instances where I feel like I've seen God has a punishment in mind, but because the people turn their hearts back to him, he re- relieves the pressure. He relieves the punishment at that point. Right. Uh, I think of like the cross, the bronze snake and the, with the cross. Um, Which we'll get to here in a second. Um, but I think of that moment, right? Where I forgot it was in numbers. See, this is how often I read numbers. <laughs> um, but there's that moment of like, all of a sudden this punishment's happening. And then all of a sudden people turn in light of the punishment and right. God, and God relents. Um, so it makes me wonder, like, did, did the people just become hard-hearted in that moment? And so the journey was was entirely completed? Or did they have to endure the journey after totally repenting and recognize, like, I'm done? Mm-hmm. You know, and Moses, same boat when he when he doesn't get to enter the promised land. Like, so there's just, it's just interesting. There's just different things that go through my head sometimes. Well, yeah, and there are, like you said, there are points where God revokes punishment. Like the Miriam mm-hmm. leprosy. He relents, yeah. Yeah, this one, he does not. There no. is no... Uh, like I said, Joshua and Caleb are the only exceptions, but they're accepted from the beginning. Yeah. And then I wonder why, like why? That's what, that's what I guess I'm trying to say. Like, yeah. It's just, it's cur- it's a curious question to me. Not that we'll have answers, but this side of eternity, but yep. anyways. Uh, the other two stories we get, as Aaron alluded to, uh, there's a giant disease going through uh, the Israelite camp. It's killing people. And so God gives mercy. He instructs Moses to make um, essentially an image of a bronze serpent um, and the people can look upon it and they are healed from their disease, which is also why if you ever wondered why with so many um, of like hospitals and like medical organizations, that's why there's a snake there. (laughs) That's that's what they're stealing it from. Or stealing is the wrong word. It's what they're paying homage to when they they do that. So uh, the other story, and this is the- Faith-based hospitals mostly. True. Uh, The other story 
which I think this is the other one that's in competition for most famous story from numbers is uh, Balaam and the donkey. Yep. So uh, there's a prophet's an interesting word to use. I don't know what you want to call him, but uh, yeah, some, a, a guy, a seer. Who, yeah, a seer. There you go. Uh, so the king of Moab keeps hiring him. He's like, hey, go curse Israel. And so he will go. And then he like gets there and he can't curse them. He just offers like blessings. From well, that's God. the thing. He even says like, I, I can only say what, what God tells me to say. Mm-hmm. I will not deviate from what God tells me to say, but he's for hire. It's a, pro- he's a, he's a for profit prophet. Um, and and so when prophet. he talks to Moab, it's like the king, like, he's like, listen, I'm telling you, I can only say what I can say, but I'll go and, and you can, you can pay for me anyways. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And so he like, he tries to pay him and get him and, and convince him and pay him in a way that gets him to say what he wants to say. So he feels better about his own decision, mm-hmm. but he knows like, he's only going to say what God tells him to say. And there's always blessing upon God's people. Yeah. It's interesting. Which even in the midst of their rebellion, like that's the crazy thing too. Like, think about it. They're in the midst of wandering because of their rebellion and lack of trust in God and God still won't curse them. True. He'll, he'll call them off. He won't curse them through the prophet Balaam, I guess. But yeah. um, anyways. It takes it takes a long time for God to kind of, and I don't want to say abandon because he's still with the people of Israel yeah. in the exile, but it takes a long time for him to essentially say, okay, this promised land thing we talked about, that's over for now. Yeah. Like it, it takes generations and generations yeah. for God to reach that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, as far as with Balaam and the donkey thing goes, uh, at one point uh, he is just an open rebellion against God and God sends an angel to kill him essentially. And the donkey sees the the only one who sees the angel. So he keeps stopping. Balaam keeps beating the donkey. And then God causes the donkey to speak and basically say like, why are you doing this? Which is just like, I mean, that's trippy. (laughs) Like imagine your donkey. Dude, I remember it in Northwest. um, There was a student there that uh, was part of my orientation group as I was part of leadership there for a bit. Uh, And, and she was, was a fairly new Christian working through the Bible, stuff like that. And she just, remember, I remember one day she just pulled me aside. She's like, Aaron, God used the donkey to speak. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, this is the story. She's like, no, 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 listen. And I'm like, yeah, he did. <laughs> he used the donkey to speak. It's weird. It's, it's. I mean, there's nothing impossible for God. Like, it's, it's wonderful. It's one of those incredible, like, trippy, like, did that really just happen? Um, so yeah, it was pretty... It's, it's a pretty remarkable story for sure. And if the new, if the new Lion King movie is any indication, looking at a real animal speak words would be kind of disturbing. So there you go. <laughs> I haven't seen the new Lion King. So I mean, it's, it's, it's been out for a long time. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, it's, so, it's not the original. Uh, yeah. It's going to be a mighty King, bro. This isn't the Disney movie. remake. Yeah. I just, you know, none of the Disney remakes have been very good. That's my stance, but what are you going to do? They've all been slightly worse. Um, in some cases, Way worse looking at you, Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. All right, so yeah, getting Aladdin to Aladdin was not a good one. Getting to chapter Wait, say that twenty-six. Uh, this is when we start talking about the second generation. Uh, so a new census is taking. This is the second numbering in numbers, uh, and the number of warriors was six hundred and one thousand seven hundred and thirty. So if you're keeping track, this is about uh, oh, is a thousand or so less. Two thousand less, I think, give or take. I think maybe yeah, six hundred three. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So there you go. Slightly less than the first generation. Um, at this point, Joshua is also selected as the leader who will bring the people into uh, the promised land, which Aaron, if you want to take that passage there, it's Numbers 27, yeah, 12 through 23, still in the CSB, uh, Christ standard, but no, I'm just kidding. There you go. I'm just kidding. Uh, it says this, then the Lord said to Moses, go up to this mountain, uh, go up to the, this mountain of Abiram, sorry, uh, range and see that the land that I have given the Israelites, after you've seen it, you will also be gathered to your people as Aaron and your brother was. At this point, Aaron had died, by the way. Yes. 
and this is the this is the moment where Moses um, is shown the promised land, but because of his sin at uh, where he struck the rock instead of speaking to it, uh, was it wasn't Meribah, was it? One of the, one of those places. Um, he he then because of his rebellion against what God instructed, he then was revoked the opportunity and privilege to go to the promised land. So this is God taking him up to the mountain to see it. Uh, so as after you've seen it, you will be gathered your people as Aaron, your brother was. When the community quarreled in the wilderness of Zin, both both of you rebelled against my commandment, and this is the explanation, to demonstrate my holiness and their sight at the waters. Those were the waters of Meribah to Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. So oh, Moses good work. Appealed, hey, I got Meribah. you, bro. Um, so Moses appealed to the Lord, may the Lord, the God who is who gives us breath to all, appoint a man over the community who will go out before them and come back in before them and who will bring them out and bring them in so the Lord's community will be like sheep. So the Lord's community won't be like sheep without a shepherd. Then the Lord replied to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man who has a spirit in him and lay your hands on him. Have him stand before the priest Eleazar and the whole community and commission him in their sight. Confer some of your authority on him so that the entire Israelite community will obey him. It's interesting he says some authority, not all authority. Anyways. True. He will stand before the priest Eleazar who will consult with the Lord for him with the decision of Urim. He and all the Israelites with him, even the entire community will go out and come back in at his command. Moses did as the Lord commanded. He took Joshua, had him stand before the priest Eleazar and the entire community, laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord had spoken through Moses. So yeah, Joshua will be the leader who brings uh, the people of Israel into the promised land, yep. which we see in the book of Joshua. We'll yep. see a little bit here, but we'll, we'll yeah, get to that here in a second. Uh, so Israel, after this, uh, Israel makes war with the Moabite Midianites, which I know is confusing, but again, like we said, the Midianites is kind of this big group of people. They're not all the same though. So in Moab, they're also Midianites. And those are the people who have been, uh, you know, they haven't been so nice. They're refusing to let Israel pass through. And so eventually Gad, Reuben, and East Manasseh would actually all take hold of their promised lands. So these are on the east side of the Jordan. So what we see in the book of Joshua is the actual crossing of the Jordan mm-hmm. into, I think, is Jericho the first city they run yep. into? Yeah. So there you go. That that all happens there. Uh, and then uh, in, a, in a piece of, I think, you know, a little bit heartwarming, uh, Gad, Reuben, and East Manasseh also all send their warriors. Yeah. So it's and not that was like, part of the commitment. That right. wasn't even like, hey, good, good, fa- good faith measure. But it's like, hey, they went to Joshua and said, hey, we want to settle on this side of the Jordan. Um, and the, the commitment was, but we'll still fight for the rest of our people to get their, to get their land. So, but we're going to settle here, leave our people, but we'll send our, our warriors to you. Right. And so it is, with you. it is kind of this beautiful picture of, um, I mean, a, a good chunk of Israel's fighting men were all, um, they're all fighting for land that they're not going to possess because mm-hmm. they already have their land, which I think is, you know, it's a cool picture. Uh, and then after this. Uh, the rest of the book is devoted to the preparation for invading the west of the Jordan. Uh, this includes additional laws from Yahweh and the establishment of where cities will be for the Levites. Because again, remember, the Levites don't have any land. Mm-hmm. Uh, their, inher- yet. their inheritance is the priesthood. So they have like little cities that they uh, live in, but they don't have, like if you look at biblical maps, you'll notice there's never a spot where this, this, is, Levi. Is, yeah, this is where Levi lived. So yeah. there you go. Because they lived everywhere. Well, do you have anything else to say about numbers? No. I think that kind of wraps it up. Yeah, it's funny because Numbers is is the beauty of the Pentateuch is it kind of bleeds in to each other. It's it's a progressive narrative, which allows the the story to continue. So even this point, like you see a good chapter close in in the story of the Pentateuch and the narrative of the Pentateuch, um, but it does end with, I think it ends with the conquering of Jericho. Which, if I'm being honest with you, I cross the Jordan as a spy. If that's the first city I come up to, where their walls are like crazy thick and like. 
Yeah, I'm going to be a little intimidated. Yeah. I would. I mean, I mean, I think one of the things they said is like we were like grasshoppers in in comparison to them. Um, so it makes total sense. But again, the neglect and the forgetting that God is sovereign anyway. So yeah, there you but, go. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that. Well, I was supposed to say that wraps it up. No, we have a Q. Yeah, we got a, we got a question to answer. All right. But before we do that, uh, we just want to remind people to leave a five-star review. Uh, if you've been enjoying the show, it just helps it to get more, it helps it to get out there yeah. to more people, uh, continue to grow this community of people. Yeah. And for those of you who had, I know there's some, we had some five-star reviews come through the last couple of weeks. Uh, thank you for doing that. They were anonymous, so I can't give you a shout out, but uh, thanks for thanks for doing that, being a part of this yeah. community and continuing to engage with us. And we can see where people are tuning in from too, which is kind of fun. Because like this month, I noticed there's a, there's a community in Delaware that's been tuning hey, in. Hey, so, East Coast. So shout out to- uh, I lived in Virginia for 10 years. So yeah. I know Shout out to zone. you if you're part of that group in Delaware that started listening all of a sudden. So anywho, uh, as far as our question this week, uh, it comes in and it says this. Hello, I find reading Leviticus difficult. Can I just stop you right there? Good. <laughs> it is. It's not an easy book to read for sure. It reminds me of the uh, uh, when Peter says that, like, I heard you've been reading Paul's letters. Those are difficult to understand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, uh, but Paul's letters are easy compared to Leviticus. Yeah, there's some truth to that. Um, as I read chapter 14, the cleansing from defiling skin conditions, it is repetitive and complicated. Also gross if you read the Bible while eating breakfast like I do. Uh, so I my, could see how that happens. So my question this morning is, how should we try to leave, read Leviticus so it isn't boring? All right, great question. So Yeah. And I love that it sounds really bad. Like I love that it's not a specific question, but it's very general, like I alluded to at the beginning. Um, but it's just sometimes like rusting through... All of that, I think, is a really good thing to do as, as you continue to read the Bible. So, mm-hmm. so I think my answer, and I, I kind of want to broaden it out from just Leviticus to like, how do you take the notoriously difficult books of the Bible to read? And how do you make The question is, how many books do you think are notoriously difficult to read? I would, I would peg. Of the 66 books. Of the 66. I mean, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but I would say um, two thirds of the Pentateuch would, I would be, cons- the law portions of the Pentateuch are hard mm-hmm. to read. I think most of the prophets are hard to read and a good chunk of the wisdom literature is hard to read. Okay. Um, and then New Testament revelation, mm-hmm. I think is probably the, those are all the books and every, like there's some books. So like, you say about half roughly? Yeah. Give or take. Um, 40 to 50%. So here's my, my tips. I don't know what Aaron's going to say either. So we're kind of just both like pulling it out from the. with everything he says. Oh man. Um, so my tips for reading would be, there's two. Number one. <laughs> Um, how does this fit into the greater narrative of what God is doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple of ways that we can look for this. Number one, so with Leviticus specifically, what we're seeing here is this establishment of covenant for the first time. So as we're reading Leviticus, and like you said, the laws about defiling skin conditions and all these different things, the important takeaway is to <clears throat> look at these and say, like we kind of mentioned it earlier in the, while reading, like how specific and technical God is with all mm. these laws. He's not messing around. Um, the law is not something to be taken lightly. And that's kind of one of the big things in Leviticus as well. Also, what we can see is it points to how important holiness is to God. And and we can begin to see in Leviticus, as we're looking to all these laws, how the Israelites don't measure up to it. Yeah, um, And that's the other part about uh, how does this fit into the overall narrative is we can see how it points forward to Christ. Um, we can see in Leviticus um, appointing to the necessary redemption that Christ would give later yeah. on in Scripture. So I think that's one way to, to to kind of understand to take whatever book it is, you know, whether it's 
um, Leviticus or Job or Revelation, you know, how does this fit into the greater biblical narrative? I think once you slot it in, it's a lot easier to read that way. Um, also, I mean, this is a third one, I guess, but like study Bibles are great. So if you don't yeah, own true. one, get one because <laughs> it helps reading through difficult passages as well. Um, and then the third thing I would say is understand what genre of literature you're reading, because it also helps. Because I think what makes the, and this is more about the prophetic books, what makes them hard to read is um, the poetic structure of the books, which now I'm thinking about this, we should do an episode on um, how to read biblical poetry, because I think that might actually be helpful. Um, but that's for that's for later. Aaron's nodding in improvement. So. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a that's a good a good thought. Um, but to give like a, a quick thing here, like the the whole idea of biblical poetry is it doesn't rhyme like most English, uh, which is disappointing. Yeah, poetry it doesn't read. How much ryth- more fun would scripture be if it rhymed? There you go. Um, it doesn't read rhythmically. Um, the way biblical poetry works, it's a thing called parallelism, which means that you know the first half of a line connects to the second half, and you kind of look at <coughs> the different ways that it does. But that's just a thing where understanding like the technical side of how to read um, whatever genre you're in with poetry. It's getting the parallel parallelism down with law. It's understanding the repetitive nature of repeating things over yeah. and over again. And then with with revelation, it's understanding like you know, apoc- apocalyptic imagery um, that we're not necessarily meant to understand fully. So yeah. like, because if you go into, you know, for instance, if you go into um, revelation, reading it like you would um, Genesis, you're going to have a bad time because yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be really hard. Or if you go into the prophets and you read them like the history books, you're going to have a bad time. Like it's, it's kind of this understanding of approaching each different book of the Bible, like they actually are different books because they are. And so the yeah. styles are different. The styles, of the authors are different um, and the genres are different. So that's, those are my thoughts. Yeah. I think those are all really good thoughts. And I think they're important to um, continue to assess and evaluate as we're reading the Bible. Um, I would add to those. Um, the first one is is ask the Holy Spirit to continue speaking to you as you read the Word, um, and and not put so much pressure on having to understand every bit and every ounce and every word you read. Um, what I mean by that is there is something unique about, and I'm going to speak specifically to Leviticus. There's something unique about about Leviticus when we're able to understand the heart of God as he establishes this religious system. It's it's not to say this is the only way, but his heart behind establishing the tabernacle, his heart behind, I mean, he established the tabernacle because he wants to reside among his people. That was his heartbeat from the very beginning of creation. We see that in Genesis. He dwelled among and lived among Adam and Eve in the garden. He walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. Um, and so there's something to be said about understanding God's heart and motivation behind a complex, uh, hard to understand book like Leviticus. So understanding that he wants to live among us, but also understand his holiness. Like it's not just how do we become holy and maintain our holiness? Because the reality is we can't maintain holiness. That was part of Leviticus. God was establishing a certain system and a, and a way to maintain some type of relationship with him, but it was imperfect. And so I think it, it's, it's when you read a book like Leviticus, you got to stop. I think and, and try and assess and understand, God, what's your heart behind this and why is it so important? Holiness is a big deal because God does not reside or coexist with sin. God, God's wrath is poured out against sin. Um, he delays that wrath in hopes that people would totally respond and repent and understand his truth and grace. But there's this, this constant tension between sinfulness and, and holiness with God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think with Leviticus, you, it's, there's a lot of cubits and a lot of 
feet and a lot of curtains and a lot of rings and a lot of proper propriet- pr- proper ways to do things, a lot of measurement specifics. And I think it just shows you that, that the, the significance of holiness and that it matters, um, yeah. that everything is to a T. Because if there's, if there's a, cor- a corner that was cut, it's compromise. And when you reside and have a relation with God, there cannot be compromise. And so I think there's ways to extrapolate a lot more uh, personal depth and understanding, but it's also difficult because it is a very complex book. Study Bibles, I completely agree, are brilliant <laughs> oh, yeah. when it comes to reading books that are hard. Um, and so and if you don't have one, I would invest in one. The ESV Study Bible is a great one. I, the new or the uh, Life Application Study Bible is a great one. Um, there's another one that I was thinking of the other day, but I can't remember. So all of that to say, it's it's not it's not always meant to be fun, but it's meant to how do we understand God's heart in the midst of it? Because that's what helps reveal the great redemptive narrative throughout the entirety of Scripture. Right. So. All right. Well, I think that was that was great, um, and that will wrap it up for another episode of Let's Read the Bible. Uh, just a couple quick reminders: um, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, and you would like to uh, contribute to help making the ministry of the Grove Church move forward, you can do that by going to our website, Grove.Church, and clicking on the Give button. Um, that would be very much appreciated. Uh, and then finally, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. Uh, you can find past messages um, and also our new blog, Life and Limb, on our website, Grove.Church. Shout out! See you next week. Have a great day.